All right, Luke chapter 5 today, and I want to look at this story. This is a fun, a fun story that I've heard ever since I was a child uh, in children's church and Sunday school, and, uh, and just some thoughts on this today, four thoughts on this today in Luke chapter 5. Let's look in verse 17. And the Bible says, And it came to pass on a certain day, as he, this is Christ, was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed, uh, in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch in the midst before Jesus. And when they saw their, when he, Christ, saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. There's more to the story than this, and we'll look at it in a moment. But let's pray. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. I pray that you'd clear our hearts and minds that we'd be able to receive exactly what you'd have for us today. And Lord, although many, if not all, have heard this story before, again, I ask you to give us something fresh today, something that will grow us and encourage us and challenge us. And Lord, help me as I present this passage that I would do it clearly and correctly. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the greatest thing a friend has ever done for you? I was trying to think through this <clears throat> as we've, we know this story of, of these four men who who went through a lot of work to get this man before Christ. And in doing so, I began to think through, well, what, what have my friends done for me uh, that these similar to what these four men uh, did for this man? I couldn't think of anything. Uh, I have lousy friends. Uh, no, uh, I have many friends that have done many nice things for me. <clears throat> Maybe I'm just lower maintenance, uh, some would disagree, uh, than, than this man, uh, where my friends don't need to do a lot of things for me. But I can't think of, I'm sure there is something, uh, but I could not think of anything, a big event, a big drastic uh, um, happening that people have done uh, for me outside of just you know friendly gifts at birthdays and Christmases and, and uh, thoughtful phone calls and conversations and things things like that. <clears throat> Most of it comes down to money. Someone paid for something for me <laughs> or something like that. Someone bought me a hot dog. Uh, and so <clears throat> I have good friends that way. But we see here in this instance, uh, these four men, and I was reading through this passage, and, and I'm sure you've heard this story before, and uh, I don't see anywhere where it calls them friends. Uh, it's not to say they weren't friends, and I'm probably reading too much into it. Um, but part of me wonders is, did these guys even know this guy? Uh, do they, do they, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe I missed it in, in another, another uh, story or whatever it may be. But <clears throat> nonetheless, uh, these four guys did something pretty unique in this case. Uh, we'll call them friends because I would, I would like to think they are. <clears throat> they did something unique. They did something special in this case to bring this man to have him appear before Christ. Uh, there were other times where people were healed and they weren't in front of Christ. Uh, if you remember stories where they came and they said, my daughter is sick and needs your healing, and God said, go home and, and she'll be healed. Uh, you see different instances in the Bible where they don't have to necessarily be right in front of Christ in order for Christ to heal. But we, I want us to see four things today that will help us and kind of ties in with our yearly theme of love thy neighbor uh, here today. Number one, I want you to uh, see this. Seek a way to bring people to Christ. In verse number 18, it says, And behold, 
men brought in a bed, a man, which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in. They were looking for a way. How can we get this man in front of Christ so that he can be healed? How can we get this person in front of Christ so that Christ can help him? I think oftentimes when we fail in getting people to Christ, we fail in uh, um, uh, accomplishing the Great Commission where we live, it's because we're not seeking a way to bring people to Christ. Uh, look in chapter 4 and verse number 18. Christ here is talking about His purpose for, for the, what He's doing. Um, his mission statement to some degree. Chapter 4 and verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Christ says, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering sight of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. So he lists here uh, five different categories. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and the bruised. And I wonder sometimes when we're talking about reaching people for Christ, uh, what kind of people are we seeking out? Um, oftentimes, we seek out those whom we're most comfortable with, right? That makes sense. That's natural for us to do. We seek out those who we're most comfortable with, and I don't think that's bad, all right? Uh, we seek out friends and family members, uh, people who we have uh, some uh, um, commonality with, and whatever it may be, that's natural because that's what our friendships are. That's what our relationships are. They're people that we can relate to and people that we can be comfortable with. If we're not comfortable with them, we oftentimes don't have any kind of relationship uh, with them at all. I like to watch kids and, and to see uh, uh, how they uh, meet strangers and how they relate to strangers, uh, fellow kids. So our kids play basketball, and, and the league they're in, they don't know anybody in the league with the exception of our landlord's children. And so it's neat to watch them begin to grow friendships with people. And my first thought is they're going to find the people who are most like them, but I've learned that they're just going to build relationships with whoever will play with them. Uh, it doesn't matter what size they are. It doesn't matter what color skin they have. It doesn't matter if they go to a like-minded church. It doesn't matter uh, if they play the same video games. None of that matters. What matters is, is hey, if I tag you, will you chase me? Um, and if they will, then, hey, we're friends. Uh, Cannon has this, this funny thing where he talks about his friends anywhere he goes. He, he has friends. So he goes to my, to my parents' and goes to their church one Sunday, and now he's got friends, because he sat next to some kid in class, and that's his friend. And you ask him, oh, that's nice, what's your friend's name? He says, I don't know. <laughs> and this is common with him, uh, no matter where he is. Played t-ball with a kid four years ago. He's my friend. What was his name? I have no idea. You played all season with him, I know. You don't know his name? No. But he's your friend? Uh-huh. Best friend. Um, you know, so, so kids and relation is, 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 I think, what we should be like when it comes to the gospel. Um, and, and you, you know, as the older kids get, the more uh, cut off they get, the more selective they get and who they talk to, the more cliquish they get. But the younger the child, it's just whoever, again, will play tag with them, they're friends, they're best friends. Never see him again, and four years later, he'll talk about his best friend that he played tag with. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy in the adult mind, but honestly, it's the mindset that we should have when it comes to accomplishing the Great Commission. We should, anybody who will listen to us, we should talk to. 
anybody who will take five minutes to sit down and talk with us, we should take the opportunity to talk to. And I see Christ here in chapter 4 saying that uh, uh, I'm anointed, be, uh, the Spirit of the Lord hath, hath, is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel, that's important, but he, to preach the gospel to the poor. Your definition of poor may be different than someone else's definition of poor, but we can all agree that a lot of people are ignoring the poor, especially when it comes to the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. We all come across people who are brokenhearted. He says as well that uh, to preach deliverance to the captives. If that's not a great definition of preaching the gospel, I don't know what is. And recover uh, of sight, recovering of sight to the blind. Now, we can't physically heal people, but there are people who are spiritually blind that we can help them get their sight, seeing their need, uh, giving them the opportunity for God to convict their hearts, for them to be saved. Then it says to set at liberty them that are bruised. Who are you trying to help? These four men, there's a man here who is sick of the palsy, and they're trying to help him. Whether they're his friends, whether they're just guys who have seen him before, acquaintances, whatever it may be, these four men said, we're going to help this person. And we're going to have to seek a way to bring him to Christ. Why? Because this is a pressing and urgent need. This man, speaking using that word lightly, in Christ, is in our town. And he's healing people. And there's this guy who needs to be healed. We don't know when the next time Christ is going to be back in our city. We've got to get him to Christ. And they begin to seek a way. And, and it's, as it says there in verse 18, they sought means to bring him in. Are you seeking a way to bring people to Christ? Are you doing something to understand there is an urgent need? How can I do my part to bring them to Christ? How can I be effective in, in, in getting them in front of Christ? How can I bring them to the one who can fix things for them? How can I do that? I have to seek a way. Seek a way to bring people to Christ. That brings us to point number two. Try something different. Most of us would say, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, and I'm not seeing any results. I've prayed for this person and, and, and nothing seems to be working. Now, Bear with me on this, because I don't want you to take my words out of context. I'm not saying try something different than Christ, and I'm not trying saying try something different than prayer. But let's see, what are we doing? Let's see if there's another way or more that we can do. In verse 19 it says, And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they tried something different. They went up to the rooftop, to the housetop, and they began to peel off shingles in our common terminology, tiles. Peel back the tiles so that they could get their friend or this man in front of Christ. They could not, so they went to the roof. Don't give up after the first, and I use the word in quotations, way doesn't work. Don't give up if the method that you're trying, if the, 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 the way that you're going about getting the gospel to people, if you're not seeing any results from it, try something different. Continue to seek. Continue to search. Is there something else that I could do? Just looking at our church, we've tried a few different things. We've gone door knocking. 
Um, and we've, we've not seen very many results from that. We've gone to hanging things on doors. We've done community events and we're going to continue to do so. There is more than one way. Uh, I was going to say to skin a cat, but that might offend someone. Uh, there's, more, there's more than one way. There's more than one way to share the gospel with people. There's one message and there's one Savior. One message and one Savior. But there are multiple ways which we can go about bringing people to Christ. Sometimes we get stuck in a rut. And if you grew up in church and you went to Bible college, sometimes you get stuck in the rut of what your church did or what your Bible college taught you to do. That's at least half of us that did that. Then... Uh, you go through and you kind of get stuck in this well, and sometimes you've been, you've been beaten into your head. This is the only way to do it. Listen, the gospel uh, is powerful. The Bible, the Word of God, is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it can pierce even the hardest of hearts. And so oftentimes we get stuck in methods when the reality is, is these men said our first method didn't work. Let's try something different. They didn't give up. Sometimes you'll have people who will knock doors week in and week out. And it doesn't work. I've talked to multiple pastors and assistant pastors who have said, oh no, we don't do that here because in our community that doesn't work. And my follow-up question is, okay, well what have you done to replace it? And to this point, all I've ever been told is, well, some people try to hem and haul around it. And other people are point blank. Honestly, we haven't done anything to replace it. That's an area we need to get better at. Because we've been told this is the method for years. And back in the early days when you had vacuum salesmen and newspaper salesmen and whatever else they would sell, where people would knock on your door regularly, everybody was used to that. And again, I'm not anti-door knocking. Please don't get me wrong with that. But there was a method that worked for a while. And so then there are people who say, well, this method doesn't work anymore. But then they're not trying something different. They're just stopping altogether. And these men, they had this, this friend, we assume, sick of the palsy, and they bring him, they sought out a means to bring him to Christ. And when they could not find uh, what way they might bring him in because of the crowd of people there, they, they went upon the housetop and they let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. They, they did something that no one else, as far as we can tell, have ever done. They, got, they thought outside of the box. You know, we have to be careful that we don't use man-made methodology and just do that because that's what someone told us to do. That's why we seek out God and we say, God, this is a person that I love. This is a person that I care about. This is a person that needs the gospel. Lord, help me to effectively present the gospel to them. I can go visit them, but Lord, I've tried that and it hasn't, at this point, has not worked. God, show me how to get through the rooftop. Show me what I need to do. Lord, help me. Is it, is, it, is it the way that I'm presenting it? Am I saying something that's confusing them? Am I using... We, you know, growing up at the, at the camp, um, we always had a session for all the workers at the camp about presenting the gospel to the deaf. Because the deaf 
um, they took things so literal. So to say, use the terminology that we often use, ask Jesus into my heart, the many deaf would say, how does that work? That doesn't make any sense. And so we were always taught to clearly and not fall into the traditional terminology of the gospel and clearly explain salvation. And oftentimes they would use three people and you'd have the sinner and you would have Christ and you would have God and then Christ taking the place of the sinner and moving people around so it would be clear. You know, oftentimes I think that we get into a rut of presenting the gospel that maybe we're not presenting it clearly. Maybe we're using terminology that we've heard because we've been in church, but these people aren't going to understand because they've not been in church. It's simple things like that to think about. Uh, 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 seek a way to bring people to Christ, and if the way that's, that you're trying right now isn't working, try something different. Don't depend on methodology. Depend on Christ. Don't depend on self. Depend on the gospel. But look at your, how you're doing it. Look at what you're saying. Record yourself. And what you're saying. Listen back to it. See if it makes any sense. Um, in college, it's not a bad thing, but in college they gave us a, uh, we had a class. It was only one credit and it should have been more than that. But we had a class that everybody took and uh, we studied. It's called Netcasters. It's a, pro a program. It's, a, it's a, um, a method of presenting the gospel. And you memorize questions and verses. So you ask this question, and this is what they'll say, and this is what you say when they say that, and this is the verse that you use, and then this is the next question, and when they answer it this way, then you say this. Well, you know what happens is you ask the first question, and they answer differently than what the script says, and all of a sudden you're immediately thrown in for a blunder. And the verses and the way they line up still, still are the same, they still work, but sometimes we get caught up in a, too, we're too much in our own head. And we've got to think, and we're talking, and we're doing all these things, when in reality we need independence on God, first of all, we have to know what we're saying. Right? We have to understand what we're saying. So we've got to know the verses. We've got to know why we're saying these verses, why we're using these verses. And then we have to have it in our heart. Right? Not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. We've got to understand it so that we can present it in a way that makes sense. If I don't know it, then I'm going to doubt everything that I'm saying. Have you ever done that before where you're talking to somebody and they ask you something? I... Uh, I'm a professional bug killer, and sometimes I get asked a question that I don't know the answer to. So I think, I think I can make this sound right. <laughs> so uh, so you, you kind of make something up, or you're saying something that you've heard someone else say, and then as you're saying it, you're questioning yourself, does this make sense? Is this right? Is this true? Um, you know, those kind of things. And sometimes we do that with the Bible because we don't know it for ourselves. We've heard other people tell us, use this verse, and use it in this order, or whatever it may be. But it all comes back to this thinking about what you're doing. And if what you're doing has not been effective, if you're not seeing fruit from it, then pray and ask God to show you something different or show you what you're doing wrong. And, and you may not be doing it wrong, but what you can do differently, what can be more effective. Try something different. Go up to the roof. Pull back the tiles. Lower them down that way. Seek a way to get them to Christ. Try something different if the first way or your way that you're doing it isn't working. Number three, we need to understand that sin is the worst sickness. We've talked about this before, but when you're talking about uh, people who are lost and, and wanting to get them the gospel and wanting to see them saved, you have to understand that the sin is the most important thing we're dealing with. Not dress, not hair, not smell, not anything else. Sin. 
Sin is the most important thing. It is uh, the worst sickness. And we see in verse number 20, it says, And when he, Christ, saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. He's sick of the palsy, and his friends are bringing him to get him healed from his sickness. And they lower him down, and Christ says, Thy sins be forgiven thee. At this point, Christ doesn't say, pick up thy bed and walk. Why? Because sin is the worst sickness. What good does physical health do when hell is still your final destination? All right, so now you don't have the palsy, but you're still going to hell. <laughs> that doesn't really sound that great. All right, blind man, now you can see. You're still going to hell. All right, man with long, shaggy hair. You now have a good haircut. But you're still going to hell. All right, woman who wears tight clothes. You now have a loose-fitting blouse. But you're still going to hell. See, it doesn't do any good to heal, so to say, if they're still going to hell. Christ understood, obviously, that sin is the worst sickness. And so here we see these men come and they lower down this man in front of Christ. And, and, uh, and we see this, this important note, by the way, God rewards your faith and your faithfulness. Because in verse 20 it says, and when he saw their faith, I believe this includes the man in the bed, but also the other four people who were helping him. He said, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. Their faith. Not when he saw the one man's faith, but their faith. You see, if I have faith that God can save, if I have faith that God can save the co-worker that I'm burdened for, and I'm praying and I'm asking God, God, save this person, and I am faithfully doing my part in obedience to seek a way to bring this person to Christ, I believe God will reward my faith. Now, that man is not going to be saved or that woman is not going to be saved until they have faith that God can save them. But I believe that my faithfulness and my belief that God can save, God will reward. But oftentimes, we have hope that God will save instead of faith that God will save. We have hope that God will change their life instead of faith that God can change their life. And we come and we say, I want to find a way for this person to be saved, and yet we only try one method and it never works, and it never works, and it never works, and then we give up. But these men didn't give up. They went to the rooftop, they pulled back the tiling, they lowered down the man, and God said, all of you, all five of you, I see your faith. I saw one person talk about uh, uh, this, that God doesn't condemn these men for instead just calling over the, the multitude and saying, Lord, we've got a sick man here, can you heal him? Because like other stories in the Bible where they came and said, back home there's one that is sick and God healed them without even going to the same town. These men, they were persistent and they got this man in front of Christ and Christ said, I see your faith. And again, it's not just the four men. I believe it's still the, because you can't be saved if you don't have faith. Uh, so all five of them, God saw their faith and he said, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. Christ understood the most important healing that that man needed was with his sins. 
We need to remember that too. Don't get caught up in the stereotype of you've got to look a certain way. You've got to be a certain way. You've got to fulfill certain things. God will change hearts. And when God changes hearts, God will change lives. And when God changes lives, it'll be evident. Don't try to change a person. Seek a way to get them to Christ. After they're saved, we do our part in discipleship and Bible teaching and in training to help them become knowledgeable of necessary changes, and God will do that too. There are natural things that God will no longer have these desires, now you have these desires, and there are things that immediately people, our eyes will be open to. I remember uh, friends of ours who are now faithfully serving in church, um, when they got engaged, I think I told you this before, so I won't go through the whole story, but when they got engaged, or when they got, uh, when she got saved, they were living together, and she said, I guess now we need to get married, don't we? And uh, yeah, I didn't say anything about that. It's natural. Um, so stop trying to change people and just understand that sin is the worst sickness. So let's bring them to Christ. Seek a way uh, to get them to Christ and, and try something different if the way that's working right now is not working, the way that you're doing is not working. Understand sin is the worst sickness. And then fourthly and lastly this morning, give God the glory. Look in verse 22. Now let's go verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying... Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? By the way, the answer is you're right. <laughs> no one can forgive sins but God alone. Verse 22, when, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say rise up and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he, the man sick of the palsy, rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. I love this story, and I, I have a vivid imagination, so I always wonder if the man picked up his bed and began to climb back through the ceiling, and the Lord said, hey, just, just go out the door. Um, uh, that's, just my, that's just my own imagination. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we see here where the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious um, people, and they said, how dare this man say thy sins be forgiven thee? Who does he think he is? God. And Christ asked them, he says, what, what are you thinking? What, what, what are you reasoning? He said, is it easier to forgive sins or to tell a man that's sick to rise up and walk? So he turns to the man that's sick of the palsy and he says unto him, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose before them and he took up whereon he lay and he departed to his own house. So Christ here had a purpose behind all of this. It was not to simply heal a man. It was for those in attendance to see who He was. As He revealed Himself as God, as He consistently did in His earthly ministry, He revealed Himself as God. I have the power to forgive sins because I am God. And you don't believe Me? 
For this purpose I will say to this man, rise up and walk, and he did. And this man who was healed, and who I believe was saved, he departed to his own house glorifying God. And everyone in attendance were amazed, and they glorified God. And then they were filled with fear. And I love the phrase, we have seen strange things today. If you've ever been to Bible college, you've said that before. Boy, I've seen some strange things today. <laughs> really strange things. Things that'll scare you. Um, at the end of the day, it all is for the purpose of glorifying God. We seek to bring people to Christ to glorify God. We try something different to glorify God. We understand that sin is the worst sickness to glorify God. And then we glorify God. I have an issue, and, and maybe this is just something that no one else sees, so maybe I shouldn't even talk about it, but I have an issue with the salvation selfie where um, someone gets saved, and so the person who presented the gospel to them takes a selfie with them to tell everybody this person got saved. And I've always asked, why are you in the picture? Can't you just take a picture of them? Or can't you just put out that someone got saved today? We don't need to see necessarily who it is. I have no problem with it. It's nothing. The person shouldn't be ashamed of being saved, and it's all we rejoice in salvations. But I have a problem with, and I have friends that do this, but I have a problem with it. Every time I see someone with a selfie, this person got saved, I just keep thinking to myself, why are you in the picture? What's the, can't we rejoice the same way by you just saying someone got saved today? Um, we can. It's not to say that everybody that does that's trying to get glory. But I feel too often times in the church setting we do what we do to, to get some praise on ourselves. Too often in a church setting we are we are trying to bathe in, in a pat on the back or um, some some credit for our part. And listen, if we're doing church the right way, we're all, we all have a part in it. If someone comes to our church and gets saved, it's not just the person who presented the gospel, and it's not just the preacher who preached the message. It's the church as a whole that had a part in getting the gospel to that person. Because someone cleaned the building, and someone brought food, and someone uh, shook hands and greeted someone and, and gave them a, a sense of comfort when they were sitting in the building, but they didn't want to run out immediately. Someone invited, someone uh, uh, nourished, someone did something. Everyone did something. We all have a part in it, but we don't get credit. God does. Not only is there nothing that a person can take credit for when they get saved, because it's not by our works that we're saved. At the end of the day, it has to be glory to God. So when you're seeking to bring someone to Christ, make sure that in your heart you're not saying, I want this person to get saved so I can tell everybody I led this person to the Lord. I have issues with, uh, Bible colleges do this a lot, testimony time. They do it after big soul winning events. Oh, I got to lead four people to the Lord today. And then they go on for 20 minutes talking about the story of how, it, how they did it. 
you know, we get so caught up in numbers, and we get so, and I'm I'm going to be talking about this at the small pastors conference a little bit as well, not just with salvations, but in church, we're always about numbers, 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 numbers. And listen, I want more people. I like you enough, but I, I want more people. Yet so much of what we do in religion is for self. And here, this man glorified God, and all they that were amazed, and they glorified God. That was the purpose. God, Christ wasn't a freak show. It wasn't a circus. It wasn't a bring your most maimed person and watch me heal them. It wasn't Christ's purpose for healing people. Christ came for the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and the bruised. God used healing for the gospel, for the ultimate glorification of God. We should use the gospel for the ultimate glorification of God. We rejoice in souls being saved, and we give God the glory for it. We let God give us the reward and not people. We don't seek man's applause or applause. I tell you, there's no better feeling than listening to someone pray and ask Christ to save them. I still remember the very first time that I had the opportunity to hear someone pray to be saved. I was 13 years old. Had a big youth event at our church. If we got 100 teenagers that came, our youth pastor was going to shave his head. Found out later he was actually going bald, so that was... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he was going to shave his head. And we met in the church uh, uh, sanctuary, an auditorium, and all the regular church adults sat in the back of the auditorium to leave all the space in the front for the, the teenagers. And we had, I think, 102 teenagers come. And our youth pastor had trained us. He'd gone through the Romans Road with us and taught us how to share the gospel with someone. And he preached a gospel message. And he had people come forward. And I remember squinting, kind of looking up to the front to see if I could get called to come up and help. And I remember a young man came up. He, was, he rode the church van to church, came pretty much every week. Um, and I remember catching my youth pastor's eye. And he said, Vince, come here. Oh, this is exciting. I remember stepping out of the aisle and having to turn around and go back and grab my Bible. And go back up, sat down and, and, uh, and with him and, and just kind of just said, you know, I mean, he just preached on it. <laughs> so went through the verses real quick and said, is this something you want to do? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, well, why don't you pray? And he prayed in and, and his own way and asked the Lord to save him. And, and uh, I mean, that, that excitement, and it never goes away. It's the same, every single time, it's the same excitement. Uh, actually, now there's more emotion in it than it was even before. I, I cry almost every time. It's exciting. But it's never a time then for me to turn around and say, well, I preached such a good gospel message today that 20,000 people got saved. The glory goes to God. Even Christ, God Himself, gave the glory to God. It's, a, it's an example for us. When we're talking about loving our neighbors, we need to do four things. Number one, we need to seek a way to bring people to Christ. When that way doesn't work, we need to, number two, try something different. Uh, number three, we need to understand that sin is the worst sickness. Don't try to fix all their problems. Understand the root of their problems is sin. 
And then number four, we need to give glory to God. Let's do those things this week. Let's do this, put these things into practice. And uh, let's ask the Lord to give us more power, more boldness, and uh, to help us be more effective with the gospel that He's given us. Lord, I pray for Your help, because without You we are nothing, and with You all things are possible. And God, I pray that specifically when it comes to the command that You've given us to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Lord, I pray that You would help us to be effective in doing so. God, I pray that you would continue to burden us with those around us, with those that, are, that, uh, that need to be brought to you that are right in front of us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be true friends, uh, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, to not be scared of relatives or of co-workers or of neighbors, but Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be bold with the gospel. God, help us to seek a way to bring people to you. And Lord, when, if we've been doing this faithfully and, and, and we've not seen any results, Lord, would you help us to, to pull up the tiles? to do something different, Lord, to seek you for help on how we can be more effective with the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to understand the, the root of the problem is sin. And Lord, would you help us to not focus on the other things until, uh, until we have first introduced them to you. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us to not uh, be filled with pride. Lord, that we would not be having the wrong motives and sharing the gospel. But, Lord, that you would help us to, to be doing what we're doing out of obedience to you. And, Lord, ultimately to give glory to you. And, God, as you use our church, as you use us individually to reach people with the gospel, God, we will truly give you the glory for it. Help us, strengthen us, uh, grow us in wisdom and in knowledge. And, Lord, uh, we look forward to seeing how you're going to use us in the days ahead. Lord, with those that we've been praying for, I pray that you'd keep them right on the front of our minds. And God, that we would be faithful to continue to work and to work and to work and to work until you've answered our prayers and, and that we can see them saved. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead.